Welcome everybody to another episode of the Ag View Pitch. We are heading into another marketing week, January 24th through the 28th here. We're lucky enough today to have with us Mark Welch, grain marketing economist with Texas A&M. Mark, how's it going? Chris, doing well. Great to be with you this morning. Appreciate the chance to visit. Yeah, it's awesome to get you on the phone here and uh, uh, have a conversation that uh, we can we can extract some some wisdom uh, from probably a warmer place than than where I'm at than uh, traveling around in some of the some of the corn belt. It's been a little chilly. How is it in Texas? You know, we've uh, had some of the cool air pushed down our way as well, so we're a little cooler than normal. Uh, as we wrap up the month of January. But uh, as you say, we're uh, in that uh, warmer part of the world that uh, we've got planting season just right around the corner. Yeah. If you look at our uh, you know, producers down in South Texas, uh, they're, they're ready to go. And uh, we'll move that planting season up uh, as we get into uh, early February, you know, come up along the uh, southeast coast of Texas, and, and we'll move up into central Texas. Uh, here we're around the area where we are here in College Station by the time we get into uh, early March. So, uh, yeah, we're we're getting ready to go, and so we're, it's just right around the corner to get this 2022 crop uh, off and going. Yeah, that's exciting, and it's crazy how fast, you know, it just seems like yesterday was Christmas or whatever, and now all of a sudden <laughs> we're talking about planting corn, so pretty cool. So You bet. So let, let's get into, um, on the economic side with, um, you being the grain marketing economist here, um, the last couple of podcasts we've done on the marketing side of things, we've we've been asking our guests a little bit along the lines of inflation and the correlation to the grain markets or the lack of the correlation to the grain markets because we're looking at the inflation side from from us as farmers and our perspective on the input cost side of it, right? For now, and and I think there's there's a school of thought out there that the inflation is going to, you know, continue to help support the uh, commodity prices. And there's also a school of thought that, you know, there's a, a, a huge disconnect. What's your take on, on inflation as it relates to, to uh, the commodities and what we should be watching for? And, and certainly those relationships I think are very, very important. And we're all you know part of the, you know, the broader economy, not only here in the U S but, uh, but globally. And, and those things have influences that, that tie us all together. And, and at times, those, those uh, impacts and influences can seem much more direct. And, and other times, perhaps even, even contrary, especially I think at times of, of a change in trend or a, a pivot in conditions, it, it might, when you might see that, uh, that separation of, of what the normal relationship that you might expect. Generally speaking, uh, if you look at broader uh, measures of net farm income, uh, typically net farm income is better when the U S economy is doing better. Now, you know, many times we think, you know, what happens on the farm may not relate and be a direct corollary to that. But again, in general terms, uh, and so as we're seeing economic growth, as we're emerging from the uh, coronavirus pandemic, and we, we hope that we get through this current surge and, and things look brighter and better as we, uh, we move out of this, uh, this current uh, wave that we're in right now activity is picking up uh, again that's that's better for the US economy if you look at uh, uh, GDP projections the latest that I was looking at uh, from the uh, conference board their estimate is 3.5 percent GDP growth for the US for 2022 uh, which is better than pre-pandemic levels uh, and all that said it's 
that as the economy is coming back out of uh, the recession, short-lived as it was, historically speaking, it was it was severe, but it was relatively short, uh, to see uh, you know inflationary pressures and uh, and and labor condition adjustments, you know, is is not surprising uh, in that in that situation. So uh, I think that if we're looking at you know a better economic uh, outlook in the context of, yes, that's bringing inflationary pressures too. Uh, certainly I think that it's not all uh, doom and gloom in terms of the, the impact on the economy and even on the farm sector. Now, when we get to the, 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 the microeconomic level and the, and the business sector level, we've got to manage those input costs. And whether we're talking about uh, you know inputs like fertilizer and seed and chemicals or it's energy or labor or it's land, you know, all those pressures do mount up. and if you look at our broader commodity prices, uh, yes, there are some opportunities uh, that are still there with, with higher grain prices, and it applies to, of course, to the oil seeds and also to cotton as well. If we look at the competition breakers for mm-hmm. 2022, that uh, there's a lot of opportunity out there that, that these prices are manageable under certain scenarios. I mean, you got to make a crop, first of all. Uh, and then are there tools and resources, and, and uh, we have things in place that we can either eliminate some of the downside price risk or, or take advantage of some of these prices that are being offered to us. Again, then it comes down to, to the individual management in the short term. Uh, can the situation turn around? You bet. And typically what we see is if we see the lower commodity prices, particularly on our agricultural output, uh, we tend to see those prices fall after we've locked in all those high-value inputs, uh, and, and that's when we can really get in a bind. So, yes, it, it, it's up and down. It's volatile. Again, there's some general trends that maybe provide a little encouragement, but yet that doesn't mean it doesn't take a, you know, a keen eye to, to manage the, uh, the, the local day-to-day operation uh, to make all these pieces work. So in, when we look at what the Fed, you know, and, and the expectations of, you know, from this week's announcement, kind of what, interest rates, you know, the assumption of we're going to see several rate hikes during the course of this year. And then that's obviously the theory is anyway, is that's to, to help to put a cap on the inflation or at least, you know, help to mitigate that some um, talk a little bit about, you know, the impact of the uh, interest rates. And then do you foresee anything of that hooking into the stock market a little bit pressuring that? And then does that influence commodities? Right. And, and, and yes, again, those kind of relationships then if we do see, uh, you know, upward uh, pressure on interest rates, uh, how that can, uh, you know, put a, a dampening pressure on economic activity. Uh, and if you look at where uh, rates have been as uh, the Fed then, of course, lowered those rates uh, in, the, in the emergence of, of the pandemic and the recession that we've been in, uh, that we're cranking those uh, back up over the next year, year and a half, uh, back to something along more historical norms. Again, if we're returning back to economy that's maybe functioning normal, probably not the right word to call it, but, mm-hmm. but, uh, something we're, we're more accustomed to without these, uh, you know, major, uh, uh, setbacks. Uh, yeah. Interest rates currently are at historic, still at this very historical levels. And so, yeah, to get them back up to something kind of, uh, you know, uh, a bump of two or three points uh, is, is not out of out of context uh, with where those weights were generally run. Would that put downward pressure on some other aspects of the economy? You bet. Uh, 
and particularly if you look at the relationship between, you know, interest rates or savings rates uh, and uh, other investment interests, whether it be, uh, you know, CDs or bonds or whatever it might be, if those interest rates on those uh, more secure investments, as those get a little better, well, then we see some money generally taken out of the stock market Mm -hmm. in that uh, I don't have to have so much in those high risk investments. Uh, if my rate of return on these more secure, uh, less risky uh, alternatives uh, might look a little more rewarding. And, and that can apply to our commodity markets as well, where we have you know, commodities like bonds and the stock market, uh, real estate, you know, commodities in a large degree, they're an investment class of their own. Mm-hmm. And so we see investment money flow into commodities in times of high expectations of inflation. So you know, there again, we're kind of we're kind of going around the circle again, aren't we? Of uh, of how one thing kind of ties to the other and, and feeds and, and leads to to impacts in, in the other markets. Uh, so again, I think if we if we see some some lessening of just inflationary pressures in general, and then that can be for several reasons. It can be actions by the Fed, like we've just been talking about, to maybe raise interest rates and and, and kind of put a little not the brakes on the economy, but maybe take our foot off the gas. Uh, but then just the, the normal supply and demand fundamentals of the commodity markets uh, in general. Uh, if we were to see, uh, for instance, uh, oil production uh, catch up with consumption and, and exceed that even to a small degree, uh, what would that do to the energy markets? And that's the forecast uh, moving forward for 2022 uh, that, uh, that that will be the, the global situation. If we, if we make a corn crop, uh, in Brazil, we make a corn crop in the U.S. Uh, the soybean crop is, is not as bad as we think it might be in, in South America. Or, uh, that uh, what you know, What's going to go in internally with China and their appetite, appetite for in, importing uh, oil seeds and feed grains? You know, all those factors uh, that, that play into that. But if the, the fundamentals were to change, that starts then to also release some of those uh, inflationary pressures. And then that, you know, again, uh, makes things a, a little settle down to a degree that we're, we're trading more fundamentals rather than, you know, inflation fears and pressures. So uh, a lot, lots of pieces to unfold to, to monitor as we move forward. But I think to look at uh, indicators of, of what those pieces and how they add up uh, are important to, to keep an eye on as well as, you know, all, all the other uh, factors and influence the prices as we uh, try to figure out what to do here uh, in, in 2022. Uh, but certainly lots of, lots of things that are going on. Well, we've, we're talking about a lot of the, the threats. So, you know, interest rates, the stock market, the funds and where the money goes and, or doesn't go right. And, and inflation and, and, you know, the thought of, you know, if we do have good weather, Uh, let me ask this, what, so we're sitting here with really strong prices. I mean, when I look at meetings and we sit down with our clients, there's not very many years at the beginning of the year when we can you know, run the numbers and still have a pretty good black ink number at the bottom of the page. And we're seeing a lot of that, even in the face of these high prices. And so on the other side of the equation, what's, what's keeping us this strong and what could keep us this strong moving forward? You know, what could keep these markets up here? Because I see some hesitancy and I feel it too, right? You know, it's like we, we want to protect the downside to a degree, but we sure want to keep the top side open. And how much more top side do we really have, you know, and what's keeping it here? Any comments on that? You bet. Uh, and, and, and that is, you know, it's all the discussion of, 
uh, you know, the, the extremely uh, high and, and increased uh, input costs when you put your budgets together this year compared to uh, what we were doing a year ago at this time. You know, in, in the budgets that I've run for, for our uh, uh, districts here in Texas, um, yeah, if you, if you plug in all the numbers uh, to this point, it'll vary farm to farm, of course, uh, but just kind of a, of a broad view. Yeah, the, the bottom line looks better putting our budgets together this year than they did a year ago. Right. Uh, you know, again, even accounting for these, these much higher costs that we're having to, to plug in. Uh, but of course that comes with uh, a substantial increase in financial commitment and risk, uh, to do that in the, the cost of, uh, putting in that acre of plug in whatever you're going to plant. Um, yeah, the, the risk associated with that is going to be much, much greater given what those costs are going to be, be tied up in, in every bushel or pound or, or whatever we're growing out there. Uh, but I think if we look at, uh, you know, what the possibilities might be, yes, the, the, if you look at, and, and of course the, the key measure, if I'm looking at a, a price forecast, uh, and, and just like many do, uh, we look at those, those stocks to use ratios. Uh, what is the, the, the expected level of, of carryover stocks in a given marketing year, a relative to our level of use, uh, in, in that year. And as that uh, stocks and that stocks to use number goes down, that's put our higher pressure on prices. And then as where stocks get higher, relatively use, well, it relax. We're not so worried about those supplies. And, and so downward pressure on prices. And, and as we're looking at the at moving now to 2022 and where we're coming out of uh, 2020, yeah, things got really tight. We had the, the short crop across much of the U.S. Brazil had a short crop, had a surge in demand from China. And uh, U.S. and, and global uh, grain stocks got very, very tight. We've eased that situation, the current expectations in this current market year. They're getting a little bit better. But relatively speaking, if you, you know, go back, I've, I've kind of defined my, my area of analysis kind of to the uh, more or less to the, the biofuel era, you know, kind of a mm-hmm. new world since 2005, 2006. But, yeah, things are we're on a, we're on a tight end of the range even today even though our supplies with the crop that we were able to make in the U S which is just astounding <laughs> given how dry it was in so many areas. Uh, but our, our stocks use numbers, it looks like for this 21 crop are going to be a little bit better. If the expectations are around any kind of normal weather and mm-hmm. we, you know, we can't play that card yet. Uh, but just looking at if, if we do have a situation that things, if we don't, without trying to predict, you know, a, a drought or a flood or a catastrophe in any major producing area, uh, certainly at these high prices, the incentives are there for the acres. Now, we've got to divide those acres up among a lot of commodities. Everybody wants some. Uh, but if we just hold corn acres somewhere, well, we could give up a few corn acres. And uh, if we had a, a trend line yield next year, uh, production would still be higher in the U.S. Uh, globally, the incentives are there, obviously, for more corn acres, for anybody that can, that can grow them. So, again, Factoring all those things back in and what we know about uh, our estimates for, for consumption uh, in, a, in the new marketing year, it looks like the, the stocks numbers would increase again, marginally, to a degree. And, and so, again, I'm not looking – I don't think there's a lot of pressure that for prices to collapse, certainly as tight as things are today. But are the pressures and the likelihoods uh, for that stocks-to-use number to get better, bigger, or smaller? And, and I think if it's going to get smaller – uh, we're, we're counting on either a, a major increase in a demand category or we're looking at a shortfall of production in, in some, uh, you know, major producing area. Uh, and the, it, 
putting the odds on that or the likelihood is it out there? Absolutely. Uh, we certainly wouldn't, we would not completely discount that, but, but can we, uh, again, would that be the highest likelihood of outcomes? I think that's where we've really got to start making some, uh, some judgments of, uh, of what is the likelihood of that occurring. And, and so that's where I think some, some risk management tools and, and resources start to come into play to start at least protecting a portion of, uh, of what might be at risk if we do not see uh, those uh, production impacting events. If we do, could we see record high prices uh, right back? Again, tight stocks to use, soaring prices. Absolutely. We're, we're in that world. We're not, we don't have the supply of grain. Or, uh, or other commodities uh, sitting on the side that we can bring into play if there's another short crop. There's just not enough out there. Right. Uh, and so that's, that's, that's why we are where we are. Um, and so as we unfold that situation, as we move into the spring and early summer, uh, that's when either the market will say, relax and do what we normally do, which is start falling off in June and July, or by golly, this could be another wild ride and ramp this thing up again. Uh, and so though it's impossible to call, but, but I think there are, uh, you know, patterns and likelihoods uh, you know, that we can still equate and, and, and put those into our, our decision-making uh, processes and marketing plans and, and start to, to build on those kind of expectations. Right. Yeah, the, the scary part is just where we start, start from, too, right? You know, we've got a – it would be a long fall or, you know, it just feels like we're getting towards the top of the – of the hill and it's, it's a lot further to fall down than it is to climb up yet. And it just feels like, and, and with that, with all that said, you know, the last thing before I get to a couple of specific questions, just on some ideas for um, finishing up 21 and, and, and continuing on the marketing thought process of 22, but um, the Ukraine and South America, any comments on um, some of the stuff going on in either place as it relates to the market? You bet. Um, and of course, that, that Black Sea region, and we're talking about Ukraine and, and southern Russia primarily, right. uh, the, the exports of, of grain that, that feed the, the world appetite uh, are, are so important, increasingly important. Uh, if you look at the numbers in this current marketing year, uh, just looking at wheat, uh, Ukraine and Russia account for about a third of global wheat exports. Uh, so it's, it's a major source of, uh, of, of grains for the world and, and any tensions, uh, between those nations. And then of course, any tensions that would disrupt, uh, shipments and movement of commodities out of that region, uh, at a, again, back in our environment of a tremendous amount of, uh, uncertainty and relatively short supplies. Uh, yeah, it, it would have a, a, a strong, I think, and severe impact on our grain markets. Uh, and so anything that would, would, calm and settle that situation uh, absolutely would be very, very important. It, of course, it's here in the middle of winter. Uh, we're, it's hard to estimate you know, what their production might be, and that's always a concern, just estimating, is, is Russia going to make a wheat crop? And what degree will they allow those uh, that wheat production to be available to the export market policy-wise and uh, price-wise, all those kind of things start to play in. So that, that alone is always a great deal of uncertainty at this time of year. Right, uh, but then to throw in the political tensions, uh, well, that that's 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 way out of my ballpark. Mm-hmm. But uh, certainly, what to monitor because it is very very serious. Because again, that is a significant uh, grain producing and grain supporting section of the world section of the world. And of course, you know, South America has been that way for a long time now, uh, wrapping up you know their first crop plantings, 
uh, for uh, 2021, the 22 marketing year. Uh, and now our eye uh, very soon will be on that second corn crop that starts beginning planting behind soybeans. Um, you know, certainly again with the uh, prices as they are, if, if their inputs are available as well, uh, you would expect that uh, we would see a, certainly an increase in planted acres. Uh, but they've had their weather challenges, particularly, I think, in the southern areas of Brazil and, of course, Argentina. Uh, but the primary production areas uh, for that second crop corn are a little further north uh, into the central and, and uh, south central regions of Brazil. Uh, and so we're just, you know, it, it's planting right around the planting season right around the corner for them as well. So as we get into February, yeah, we'll be watching the production capacity and from acres as well as uh, weather and yield prospects uh, looking at uh, the battle for acres here in the U.S. Uh, setting the insurance price uh, here in February uh, using those uh, futures uh, uh, harvest futures prices mm-hmm. uh, the average for the month will we'll set those for us for the year. Uh, yeah, February has become a very dynamic uh, market moving month. Uh, given all that's going on around what's happening in South America and the decision that uh, farmers are making here in the U.S., uh, yeah, it could be um, an exciting month that uh, about to unfold. So it sounds like the you know you reading between the lines here. Then you know the tension with the Ukraine, Russia, and the, and the South American unknown and those kind of things are actually probably supportive at this point for a while yet. Is that kind of your? Take? I think they are. Yeah, and, and then, then particularly un- underlying, of course, all of that, Chris, being that stocks are tight, mm-hmm. uh, and, and so I think just the the uncertainty around these kind of things we've been talking about and concern, but then we're we're doing that from a it, that these concerns would be market supporting if we had kind of normal levels of stocks right. and supply, right? But then when you undertone uh, the uh, relatively tight uh, carryover that we've got across many of these commodities, you know, just highlights or heightens. I think those uh, those areas that we need to watch, uh, and so yes, do I expect anything you know short term that would significantly you know change the picture and, and down we go? Uh, you know, I, I do not. I think there's probably more of a concern of something on the other side. But uh, if conditions again do play out in in any kind of you know normal or or unexpected uh, kind of scenario, uh, then I, I think certainly could see some some downward pressure on prices as we move through this growing season. I think that would be the the, the normal uh, trend and, and, and seasonal tendencies, but yet uh, we know that there are lots of things that can upset those and, and set us on a different path. Mm-hmm. So as we get closer to wrapping up, I'm going to drive this into more of a micro on the farm picture then for you. And I'm going to just ask the question, Mark, the farmer is sitting there with having had a very good crop in a, in you know, relative to a normal year, you've had a very strong crop. You've got some 21 crop left to sell. I don't care if it's corn, soybeans, wheat, whatever it is. What's your, what's your reasoning, reasoning for holding on to it? Or, or would you be um, more likely to, to push stuff out the door or what, what's your thought process on that? Yeah. And, uh, you know, again, I think there are some, some tools and signals out there that we could use to help guide that decision. Uh, you know, it does boil down to a large degree on your attitudes and your uh, ability to and willingness to accept risk, mm-hmm. uh, your financial situation, uh, you know, lots, lots of things feed into how we make uh, you know, marketing and, and risk management decisions on a, on a personal side uh, and a, uh, you know, a financial ability side uh, to, to weather the ups and downs of these prices. So, you know, given all that, 
you know, I think if we're looking at signals of when and how much to sell, you know, say grain in the bin today, uh, I think there are a couple of things to look at. One is what are the uh, spreads being offered if you look at the futures contracts for corn? Compare the, the price on the, the March contract, the May contract, the July contract. You get into September, that's a little bit into the new crop outlook. So that one uh, maybe not quite as, as strong of an indicator. But to get us through this spring and uh, you know, early part of summer, um, if, if there's not a, a premium offered in those contracts, that's kind of telling us that you know the market is, is telling us, we want your grain today. We're not necessarily you know, wanting you to store it. Uh, because the, pr- the premium's up front. Right. The next thing to look at that is at your basis. Uh, I think the basis in our area, we've had a very strong basis uh, all through this last year, and I think that's been the case across most of the country, mm-hmm. uh, which is great. We've been rewarded then with that higher cash price relative to the futures contracts than we would normally see. What is the, the likelihood of that getting better? And, and so if we have a, uh, you know, a structure of the carry that's in the market that's not rewarding storage, and if you've already got a high basis, Again, I think the conversation with where this grain is going to go, whether it's through the ethanol plants or a feedlot or wherever you normally sell your grain, what is the likelihood of that basis for that stored grain getting better in uh, in, in April or May or June or whatever your, your timeline might be for uh, go ahead and selling the grain? Uh, so I mean, those are like the, as you kind of then look at, so all of that being said, if the reward doesn't appear from, the, from those kinds of, uh, of resources, then why am I hanging on to it? Well, you're probably betting on a crop shortage in South America, or you're betting we're only going to plant 90 million acres of corn or 88 million acres of corn in the U.S. this year, which all those things could happen and drive these prices much, much higher. But but that's what you're betting on. So I think it's uh, it's a matter of just uh, of, uh, of where what are the factors that are driving our decision? Uh, and I think there are some very objective tools that we can use. Uh, but then maybe you recognize to what degree we're using, you know, more of a subjective or a what if kind of analysis and, and it's fine, but, but at least, you know, what's, what's driving the decision mm-hmm. and, and maybe that helps to provide a little bit of clarity, you know, like, like any major decision financial or otherwise, you know, if we wait until we have all the information, we think we need to make a decision. We'll never make a decision. Mm-hmm. You know, every decision is made, uh, in, in the face of a tremendous amount, tremendous amount of uncertainty. Uh, and, and this is no different, uh, when we look at the you know, selling grain, whether it's in the bin or still in the bag, the seed bag, and we're fixing to put it in the ground. Uh, but again, what are the factors we're using to make those decisions, uh, might, might perhaps provide a little clarity. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and the same goes with the 2022 crop, right? I mean, the, we're, we're really more so in the unknown yet, even with the 22 crop. So you know, we're going to get a lot smarter. Um, like you said, as we get into the month of February, especially we get about three fourths of the way through February mm-hmm. and we can kind of see what that, that crop protection or the insurance level is at. And then the math gets a little bit easier at that point to be able to start to determine any, any comments on the 22 as we wrap up. You know, I think that that's exactly right. We'll have a little more on the price, price side of things. And, and then of course the market is going to try to, uh, uh, see how that influences in the, the acreage decisions that individual farmers will make. Right. Uh, we'll have surveys by USDA as well as private firms. Those will be released as we get in, uh, information collected late February, early March. That'll be collected in March. So again, unfolding levels of, of information, mm-hmm. uh, that, that we're going to have a little, again, a little more insight, uh, in, into where we are, are headed. 
But I think, again, if we're looking at kind of normal kind of patterns, holding acres where they are, have a trend line, yield, current use and demand expectations, uh, would my bet be for higher ending stocks next year than, than this last year? Yeah, yeah. I, I think they could go up a little bit. Not a lot. We just don't have – I don't think we can – the battle for acres is going to be enough. We're not going to give everything to corn. But if it just holds its own, uh, again, I think you should be aware of what those risk possibilities might be. Yeah. The challenge this year from our observation is is that the opportunities are probably better than we would typically see, but I would also say the risk factors are significantly larger than we would normally see too. <laughs> so, you know, I think so, that's, a gr- that's a great way to put it. How many times we put that crop in the ground and that number at the bottom of the budget, it's not a black number. <laughs> yeah. You know, we're, we're, we're worried about minimizing losses, uh, you know, not, uh, not maximizing returns. And mm-hmm. This year, yeah, it, it looks a little different for many, many cases if we make that crop. And uh, so, uh, yeah, that puts and, us in a, different, in a different light. Yeah, and we've seen working capital uh, positions and most of the operations that we've um, been plugging numbers in with and sitting down and doing loan renewals and things. And we're looking at, okay, wow, we just really had a phenomenal 2021 in almost every case, not every, but there's always exceptions, mm-hmm. but have really improved working capital. But then if you look at that working capital improvement, we almost need a high percentage or in a lot of cases, almost all of that to cover putting the next crop in, you know, just because right. of the increased in the inflation on the input side of things. And so it's, it's a, it's definitely a, a, a ball to juggle here and, or a bunch of them to juggle. And, uh, um, well, we get a lot smarter in February and we'll definitely, uh, uh reach out to you and, and pick on you and see what the, uh, crystal ball says for you as we get a little further down the path here. Well, you bet. And I appreciate the perspective that, that you provide me. Uh, from what you see with uh, your friends, neighbors, and clients, and what you guys are doing, uh, certainly provides insight uh, for us down here. So, I always appreciate these conversations and chance to visit. Yeah, you bet. And we'll we'll definitely uh, uh, keep on it here with you. And again, thanks a lot, Mark. Really appreciate it. You bet, Chris. Y'all take care. You bet. And uh, so again, that's Mark Welch, uh, grain market economist at Texas A and M, uh, and. Appreciate everybody listening. Also, uh, keep in tune this next week. We'll be at the um, at the Executive Business Conference, the AgView Executive Business Conference in uh, Phoenix, and we'll have some reports uh, coming out from there uh, from some of the speakers and things that are going on. And if you're heading down to Phoenix, looking forward to seeing you real soon. And thanks, everybody, for listening. We will catch you next time on the AgView Pitch. Mm-hmm.